Well, I hope you are experiencing an extraordinary God in extraordinary ways, and that's what we're studying on Sunday mornings. As a matter of fact, last week we looked at what it means to be blessed, and so if you're blessed, turn to your neighbor and say, I am blessed. Just confess it all around the worm, all around the worm, worm world. There we go. Room. All right. You got somebody blessed already? Let's dig in. If you have your Bible, start finding uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 4. We're digging in and looking at a life, an extraordinary example of an extraordinary faith. And before I get too far into the message, I want to give a couple of announcements. One, if you are visiting, if you've been visiting for a while through the COVID surge or through these days and you'd like to know more about PCBC, we are reestablishing our Discover PCBC class. It's on a Wednesday night. It'll be March the 2nd. We'll provide a free meal for your entire immediate family. Uh, you can register ahead of time. We'll give you a free meal from 5 to 6, and then at 6 o'clock, I'll be meeting in a different room with those that would love to know more about what we believe, who we are, and what we do as a church. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. Also, mark your calendars. We have a very special treat before us, a guy by the name of Erwin Lutzer. Some of you may not know who Erwin Lutzer is, or maybe you do and you don't realize it. He was a former senior pastor of Booty, uh, Booty. Moody Bible, don't tell him I said that when he gets here, all right? Moody Bible Church. Ah, oh, that's going to be a long day already. Uh, he is powerfully gifted in spreading the gospel. He has had a great ministry, both as an author and as a pastor. He's here in Oklahoma at the end of March. He'll be here the last Sunday, March 27th. Please help me welcome him when he gets here. It will be a great Sunday. It's a rare opportunity to get somebody like Irwin to be in our pulpit. And I want you to help us spread the word and invite somebody to be here. Well, let's continue our study on Jabez. We saw some things out of 1 Chronicles 4.9 about this extraordinary testimony named Jabez. Jabez first was an honorable man. It means he was a guy that reflected the glory of God. He was a faithful man and he was a prayerful man. He wasn't just living life like everybody else. He was committed to experiencing the extraordinary. He wasn't living an ordinary, everyday life like even Israel or the rest of Israel. There was something special about his walk with God. And out of that comes what we call this prayer, the prayer of Jabez in verse 10. Now, there's four things he actually prays for, and it's easy to remember if you can remember uh, two B's and two P's, all right? Uh, the first two B's are blessings and borders. We're going to look at borders today and what he was praying for with that. And then the two P's are provision and protection. Two B's and two P's. I'm going to encourage you to make that a part of your daily prayer life, to remember that through those four letters and remember to pray about those four things because it was so important that God wanted us to see what he prayed for in verse 10. Four simple things that aren't so simple. And I bet you've prayed for some of those things. God, protect me. Uh, God, I need you to provide this. God, I need you to bless me. We've prayed for those things. But what we're going to look at today is probably something that the majority of Christians have never, ever understood and never, ever prayed for. And yet Jabez had the insight and had a heart to pray this one thing, God, expand my borders. Look at it in verse 10 again. So Jabez called on the God of Israel. He just didn't cry out to the God of the universe. He just wasn't praying a generic prayer, knowing there was a God. It was the one true God. It was his God. 
I would ask you this morning, where are you at in your relationship with the one who created you? Is God just a creator? He's the one who created your life, created this earth, created the universes. Is he just creator? Or is God your God through Jesus Christ because you have a personal relationship with him, not just knowing the facts about him, but walking with him? Jabez had a walk with God, and so he prayed to him, and here's what he prayed. God, bless me. Bless me indeed. Now, we talked about last week, often we pray that, but we're praying for the wrong word or meaning of blessing. Americans pray for God to bless us to make our life all good and happy and warm and fuzzy. That isn't what he was praying for. If you look at the language, the original language and the verb tense, we come to understand that he was saying, God, change me. That's a blessed life. A blessed life is one that is transformed from a life that's dead in sin to a life that is alive in the spirit of God, the abundant life that God gives us. And then he said, Lord, enlarge my border and that your hand might be with me and that you would keep me from harm, that it may not pain me. And God granted him what he requested. We look in on this prayer of Jabez. Apparently he was praying in such a way that it honored God and pleased God because God answered the prayer. God isn't going to answer some of our prayers. If you're praying for the lottery ticket numbers, he ain't going to answer that prayer. You don't need that. If you're going to be praying for something outside of his will, he's not going to bless that. But if you're praying in the center of his will, he will grant what you request. So let's look at the second B here. We looked at blessing last week. What does it mean, Lord, enlarge my border? Well, in the New American Standard, it says enlarge my borders. In the NIV, it reads enlarge my territory. In the King James Version, it reads enlarge my coast. This word for borders gets a little convoluted because of our understanding of the word border. When I mention borders, you probably think of our southern border. And you've seen on the news for a long period of time now, for months and months and months, all the illegal activity happening on our borders. In all other nations on this planet, you can't just walk into that nation. You can't just cross their border. You have to have documentation and you have to have permission to come into their borders. Except for us, and we'll just kind of look past it, and depending on the politics of the day, uh, and, and, and certainly we want to be welcoming, but there should be sovereignty in our borders. Uh, currently, going on in the news, as you're watching what's happening with Russia and the Ukraine, you're watching a war about to develop because of borders. And the Russian troops now have gathered at the Ukrainian border, and, and now there's the possibility of a war between these two countries, a battle for territory. And what we see in physical history is going to become a picture for us in just a moment of what Jabez was praying for. But Jabez wasn't praying that he would become a great nation. He wasn't praying for real estate. How do we know that? What was he praying for? When he said, God, expand my border. He wasn't a king of a country. He didn't have certain territory. And some people would interpret this and say, well, he was praying for God to bless him and to give him more real estate, more, more territory. Well, that's not what he was praying for. How do I know that? Well, I'm not a Hebrew scholar by any means, but we know that the word here for border 
is the masculine noun, not the feminine. Now, what, what makes a difference there? Well, in the Hebrew language, the feminine word for border meant the actual specific ground, the specimen of land. If he was praying in the feminine noun, he would have been saying, God, increase my borders. Give me a bigger estate. Give me more property. Give me more real estate. And that would have been his own gain. That would have been praying about something in the natural realm. So what does the masculine noun mean? Well, it actually speaks of that which is not literal dirt, but it speaks of territory. It speaks of boundaries. It speaks of an international, uh, if you will, a nation. Now, I told you he wasn't the king of a nation. He wasn't the king of Israel. But what he was praying for is that God would restore what had been stolen by the enemy. That God would use him as his life was blessed and changed to also be a part of sharing the gospel in all the earth. That which was no longer God's territory, that God would restore that back to its original design. Let's talk about that original boundary. In the very beginning when God created man, he placed man here on earth, placed him in a garden, and when he created man, he gave man dominion over the earth. God who is sovereign, that means one who rules over everything, created man in his own image and gave to us originally, in his original design, gave us delegated dominion. As a reflection of who he is, who rules and reigns over everything, he gave us that dominion, it was spoken into Adam, that they were to rule and reign over the earth. Well, as Adam and Eve experienced God's design and God's will, we know that there was an invasion of that holy ground. That there in the garden, Satan appeared, played battles with their minds and with their hearts, got them to rebel against their king and his sovereignty. And in that moment when they chose from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they declared that they would now live life how they wanted, under their own rule, their own reign. And in that moment, through the lie, they surrendered their dominion over to Satan. Now, how do we know that? Well, I'm going to take you through three or four verses that give us an understanding of that surrendered dominion. If you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Don't let me lose you. Stay with me. Ephesians chapter 2. What we're about to see is something most believers have never understood. And because of a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding, we're not engaging in this world like we should. Let's take a look at it. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Paul said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's talking about their natural life before Christ. And he said, outside of Christ, you were dead in your sin, in which you formerly walked according, watch this, according to the course of this world. And according to the prince of the power of air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul was reminding them that there is a whole other realm besides this physical realm. That when you are lost and separated from a holy God, all you are is natural man. You aren't alive spiritually. You're dead in that sin. And you're under the control of, look at what it says, the prince of the power of the air. That spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. 2 Corinthians, if you want to take notes, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, Paul taught it this way. He said, listen, our gospel is veiled to those who don't believe. A veil is something that covers us. Uh, a veil would be something we couldn't see through. And he says that unbelievers, the gospel is veiled to them 
by the God of this world. Little g. He isn't speaking of the capital G, the God who created this world. He's talking about, for a season, the little g, God of this world, Satan. You see, Satan got his power when man handed over the keys to the kingdom, if you will. Handed over the dominion that was delegated to them, and they gave it out back to Satan through their rebellion. Because of that, this uh, planet has always known chaos and war. This planet has not been a paradise, but it has been nothing but a living hell on earth, if you will. Luke chapter 4, you got to see this. Everybody turn to Luke chapter 4. This delegated dominion we see even at the temptation of Christ. Jesus has now launched his earthly ministry. The Holy Spirit has led him into the wilderness to be tempted uh, for these 40 days. And here we find Satan unleashing his war to try to claim the ground forever, the territory forever. Verse 5. But Satan led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And the devil said to him, I will give all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. He was tempting Jesus in this moment. And he was able to tempt him with something that was his that he knew Jesus had come for. He knew that it was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 that there would be the seed of the woman who would come into this earth that would crush the head of Satan. Destroy his work, destroy his power. He was doing everything he could because if he can take the seed of the woman and he can introduce sin into his life like he did God's original creation, he has the borders forever. He rules and reigns as the God of this world. So he offers to Jesus this shortcut. Lord, I know you're the king of kings and I know you came to set the record straight and to reclaim the boundaries. Let me make it easy for you. This which was handed over to me, what was handed over to Satan? The dominion in the garden. Adam and Eve gave it to him. What was theirs, what was given to them by God, was handed over to the enemy in their rebellion. And through that invasion, Satan has become the god of this world. And he says to Jesus, listen, you don't have to go to a cross. You don't have to be tortured, and you don't have to take on the sins of the world. Let's just make this easy. Bow down and worship me, and I'll let you be the king. You can have all this dominion. So what you see is from the garden all the way to Gethsemane. What you see from the very first life that was on this planet into the life of Jesus Christ, you see a battle that is waged forever over the territory of this earth. And you and I are part of that territory. Your soul, which was created by God and for God, is a soul that would be dead in sin and only alive in Christ. And for a season, there are lives and souls that are separated from a holy God because he has exercised dominion on this earth. But Jesus came, the Bible says, as a second Adam to fix what the first Adam did wrong. The first Adam that was given dominion handed it over to Satan. The second Adam, Jesus, came to take that dominion back from him so that you could have life abundantly and life eternally. And out of that, after Jesus died, 
and rose again from the dead, crushing the head of the serpent. The very next thing he did was at Pentecost when he birthed the church. When the Spirit of God came to live within us, that we might be alive in the resurrection power of Jesus to take back dominion. Let me show it to you. Here's some verses to take a look at. Um, well, before I get there, let me give you this. If you're taking notes, write down three different things. I want you to see a timeline of God's design and how it comes into us, the New Testament age. First one, write down Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. In the very beginning, this whole issue of this battle for the borders. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the earth, creates the territory, and he populates it with his creation. And as we read in on the creation account, listen to what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Isn't that interesting? Very first thing that Jabez was praying for, God blessed me. That's what God did from the very beginning. First thing he did was he blessed them. And then what did he do? He gave them borders. Listen to this. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the earth. God created this planet. He filled it with his glory, with his creation, created in his image, and as part of his image bearing, he is sovereign. He delegated sovereignty to us to rule and reign on this earth. They were to multiply and to be fruitful, and they were to spread that influence. The borders were to grow with the glory of God. And yet we know there was an invasion. And we know that the enemy crossed into our borders and took the dominion, what was God's, became the God of this world. It got so wicked and it got so bad that God had to send a flood because of the wickedness of man's heart. If you want to write down Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, you're going to start to hear a theme. And in Genesis chapter 9, we wake up hundreds of years later and Noah, who was also an honorable man like Jabez and his family, were called out to restart and relaunch that dominion. They survived that flood and says that God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, listen to the command God gave Noah. He said to Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It was a restart. It was a relaunch. What was blown by the first Adam, God now raises up uh, this man named Noah and his family, and they were to take dominion back over the earth. It was a restart and a relaunch. And while that happened for a season and for a moment in human history, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 35, and the earth is wicked again, filled with the wickedness of man being deceived by the God of this world. And so God calls out a wicked dude who he changes and blesses. His name was Jacob. He became a changed man. Uh, you may know the name Israel. The nation of Israel comes from this man who was originally Jacob, and God changed Israel. Listen, Genesis 35, 10 and 11. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel should be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Listen to this. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with my glory. From the garden, through the flood, and now to the people of God, Israel, in that day, they were all to fill the earth with his glory. To have dominion, a holy dominion over God's creation. 
And so this battle continues to wage. Uh, the war continues on from generation to generation. And the enemy continues to seek to take in the borders and to expand his kingdom when we're called to multiply and expand his kingdom. You don't believe me? Take a look at some other verses now in the New Testament. What does that mean to you and me? Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. We see he started with Adam and Eve. We see Noah. We see Israel. And now we see you and me. Now we wake up in the New Testament and God is speaking to those of us who are on this side of the cross. After Satan's head has been crushed, the God of this world who had taken over dominion of the earth, God now raises up a new generation to take back the borders. Take a look at it. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We're called to go. We're not called to go to church Although we gather as the church. Why do we gather? So that we can be equipped and so that we can come together and be charged with that gospel that we take to the world Monday through Saturday. Look at Matthew chapter 12 verse 30 though. Here's the challenge. We don't understand this dominion. We don't understand the reality of God's call in our life. Not just to go to heaven, but to be a part of advancing the kingdom and taking back the territory which Satan has robbed. In Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, He who's not with me is against me. You're either for him or you're against him. There's two camps. There's no middle ground. Now, we've tried to create this middle ground. We've tried to make this little uh, neutral zone, if you will, of I'm for God so I can get to heaven, but during the week, uh, I'm for a lot of things in this world too. Jesus said, no, you're either for me or you're against me. Now, here's the difference between the two. The ones that are for Christ, the ones that are in that holy border and a part of his family, it says, are those who gather with him. Those who gather people into the kingdom. He says, for you either gather with me or you scatter people from me. That's again the picture of God's divine purpose. Yes, to change us and to bless us, but also now to allow us to be a part of his kingdom people. That's why Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek that every day. Are we seeking that or are we just seeking to be saved? Are we just seeking to have God's grace or are we being stewards of that grace? Are we allowing anyone else to know about the Jesus who changed us, who are on the other side of the border, who are like those at the southern uh, border of this country, desperately trying to get in? Why? Because their world stinks and they want what we have. What an awesome picture of lostness. The world should desire to have what we have, not as Americans. I'm not talking about this real estate, the United States of America. I'm talking about this real estate, the temple of a holy God that's been transformed and changed by God's grace, that now has peace with God and has a purpose to serve God. And there are people who are dead in their sin, who are desperate, who have no hope, who have nothing. They're empty and have nothing to look forward to and need to cross that border. The Bible says we're to go to them. Look at it. Go to Matthew 16, verse 18. Matthew verse, chapter 16 and verse 18. Jesus was teaching this to Peter and the disciples and he asked who the people say that I am and 
And then he asked, but who do you say that I am? And Peter declares, thou art the son of the living God. He knew he wasn't a rabbi, he wasn't another religious leader. He was the son of the living God. And in that declaration, in that changed moment, as he went from being just a religious follower of Jesus to now a personal follower in Christ, understanding who Jesus was, Jesus says this, And I say unto thee, Peter, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He wasn't talking about Peter and Peter being Superman and that Christianity would be built off that first pope, what some believe. What he was saying, this rock, this rock is what you have just declared, I am the son of the living God, that this gospel that is to be preached in all the earth, the gates of hell can no longer stop that change. What are gates for? Gates are to keep people out. Gates are to control a border. And what Jesus was saying is that dominion which used to belong to the God of this world that was handed over to him by Adam and Eve, those gates can no longer prevail. We will take the gospel to all the earth. The problem is we have misinterpreted what life is all about. Most of you have grown up playing the game, and I don't play it often because it takes way too long to play it, but it's probably one of the most popular games in all the world. It's the game Monopoly. How many Monopoly? I used to love to play it with our kids. Haley's in the room. I'd take all of her money. She was easy money, all right? They, they, I'd pick on the kids. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know how to play the game. I just thought it was cool to have the little silver car, the little hat, and all those different things, and have all that little money. And, and do you know that that game was created out of tragedy in this nation that game was created monopoly came out of the great depression when people lost everything when people had nothing they'd lost all their property they had lost all their resources nobody had any money it was called the great depression and monopoly was invented it gave people a distraction and all of a sudden in the real world i couldn't own anything but at monopoly if i played the game right i could own a lot of stuff including your stuff and so the weird game of playing against one another to take everybody else's possessions so they become your possessions started becoming kind of the heartbeat of our nation to where most people have spent their entire life not playing on a Monopoly board, but living that out in their life. Now, I might slip Jesus in there. Jesus saved me from my sin. Boom, I got a Savior. But I spend the rest of my life trying to build my estate. Lord, bless me and give me Park Place. Give me Broadway. Those little dumpy properties, you can keep that for somebody. God, just bless me. And we spend our whole life living for the things on the board, only to realize, frankly, it's not ours anyway. Guess who owns it? The bank, the mortgage company. And we spend our whole life pursuing that stuff and pouring all of our energy into living monopoly. When God called us to pursue different real estate. You see, that's what Jabez was praying for. He wasn't praying, God, give me a bigger kingdom, give me a bigger piece of property, give me more stuff. He said, God, increase my borders. God, in my changed life, I want to serve you, my king, 
And God, all of these lives that are now lost, all that which was created for you and it was designed to glorify you, all the lostness of man, that territory that has been lost, God, I want to reclaim it. Increase my borders. God, increase your sovereignty in all the earth. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom. God, bless me. Change me, my king. God, I submit to you. Number two, God, change my purpose. God, I don't want to live for the stuff that goes back in a box. God, I don't want to live for the plastic life. But God, I want to seek your kingdom. God, I want to be a part of your army that takes back what is yours. Pray with me, if you would, with every head bowed and every eye closed. You probably have never prayed like Jabez, God, expand my borders. But what he was praying was, Lord, I want to take back ground that was yours. That dominion that was handed back over to the God of this world, Lord, I take it back. I want to be a kingdom soldier. Lord, I want to see the kingdom expand. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there's two ways that happens. Number one, it may happen because you're not a part of the king's territory. You're dead in your sin. You're lost and separated. You're on the other side of the border. That life is empty. That life is hurting. And just like those that come from impoverished nations and brutal nations where they can't have a life, they're all coming trying to find freedom in America. That reality on this planet is simply an illustration of what's true in the spiritual realm. We're bankrupt. We're under an oppressive regime, the God of this world. We are dead in our sin, and we need freedom. We need life, and that life can only be found in Christ, not in a church, not in a religion, but by crossing the border, stepping into his country and saying, Lord, I need to be saved. Is there somebody here or even somebody online? You need to be saved. You need a new government, a new king. You need Christ. That's you. I hope you'll come to one of our our ministers here at the front in just a moment and say, man, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. You come. But I know there are a lot of people in here, you've crossed into that border. You've crossed that border. You have Christ as your Savior, but you haven't been expanding the border. You haven't been praying, God, use me today. God, use me in somebody's life. So I'm going to have you pray again like we did all last year. And maybe there some of you need to come back up this morning and grab another white ping pong ball. There are scores of them in these two boxes. And there's somebody who's on the other side of the border. They're lost. You need to pray for them. Right now, you need to adopt them and say, Lord, that's a territory I'm going after this year. Lord, I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to pray that they would be saved, that your kingdom would grow in this earth. God, put somebody on your mind. Start praying for them right now. If God has put somebody on your heart, not only pray for them, but pray for you because guess what? You're the answer to that prayer. God has placed them in your life, in your path, because you're their Jabez. You're the one that can reach them. So pray for yourself. Say, Lord, use me and expand my borders, my influence. God, use me. And then if all that went over your head this morning, if none of that landed, maybe you just need to say, God, I don't get it. God, reveal it. Show me. 
Show me your person and show me your plan. Father, whatever you choose to do in these next few moments, you're the potter and we're the clay. Do your work now in Jesus' name.